My name's uh, Jeremy Walker. I'm a composer and a pianist, 50 years old. Uh, but this is not a podcast about music. It's not a podcast about me. It happens to be about my dad. His name's Tom Walker. Uh, he started his own company when he was 22 years old. He was started as an accountant. He expanded into small business consulting, uh, negotiations, everything that goes along with that. Um, for the past 30 plus years, he's devoted himself to trying to answer for how small independent businesses run by iconoclastic people, not deliberately so, but by their nature, can survive and thrive outside of what he would call the crushing conformity of uh, our time and our economy. Uh, I heard about this stuff all the time when I was a kid, and I wasn't particularly interested in business, and frankly, I'm still not, but he is a passionate, provocative, uh, difficult, committed person, and uh, he's written a book called The Thirty Years' War, but that doesn't begin to capture the energy and uh, the spirit of what he's talking about, so I decided, well, let's do a podcast about this, and I never really wanted to talk about it, but we're going to, and that's what the podcast is called. It's called, Do We Really Have to Talk About This? And the answer is yes. We're back talking about uh, Bill and his foundry here on Do We Have to Talk About This? Um, As always, Jeremy Walker, and I'm here with my dad, Tom Walker. And uh, we're going to pick up where we left off, which is, I remember, he had uh, survived the fire, thrived through the fire, um, uh, the burning of his business, the accidental burning, I should be clear, I don't want to sound diabolical, and uh, we'll just pick it up from here. Well, what happened is years passed from those fires, that fire. One day, Bill called me saying that uh, he's selling out because everybody around here thinks I'm stupid. My deduction or conclusion was they'd had enough of him and he was tired of it. But I was also certain that the ordinary grinding of people on people like Bill was a failure to translate his special insights into common results. He had proof and the common view of proof would still Bill's rage, as I was pretty sure the problem was poor pricing. That is, they, it was conventional and cost-plus based. Because this fails to recognize and price for Bill's inexplicable insights. His hidden talent, but its value, trans, would translate into prices of 10, on 10 to 20% of production, would begrudgingly quell the undercurrent of disrespect, and so would lessen his anger and rage. That was my hope. I proposed a pricing project which looked as though it would take a year. We started with assessing his company, for if it was, if it was really weak, there was no point, but it was in fact in the upper quartile. Can we go back to the, you uh, said something 10 to 20%, could you elaborate on that? or what? It was an estimate of 10 to 20% of the production um, is riff, is is directly impacted by Bill's particular insights, meaning it has greater value and lower cost than would be common. Okay, I'm trying to, I don't, I don't fully understand. Are you saying he has a 10 to 20%? 10 to 20% of his production should be priced, priced much higher, to put it in simple terms. Okay. Or simply higher. Okay, and the other 80 or 90% was... Now, this is preliminary, and this was a guess at that time. Um, what it actually turned out to be was, was closer to 20%, maybe even 30%. I don't recall precisely. It was enough to make a huge difference, however. So 30% of what he was producing was underpriced, effectively. Well, say 20%. Okay. I, yeah, I'm comfortable with the range that we had at that point. I, I'm not so much interested in the percentages as I, I'm trying to understand exactly what you you mean. So given his the quality of his... The value of what they produced was much greater than the cost that it took them to produce it. 
when it reflected his peculiar insights. Okay. Okay. I'll explain that in some detail as we go through. Well, this. yeah, I just wanted to. Yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a pretty packed statement. It is a very packed statement, so. which is why I began this series with the Bill story, because I will attempt and propose that I can unpack it. Ready for me to continue? <laughs> sure. I proposed a pricing project, which looked as though it would take a year. We were, uh, uh, let's see, we started with assessing this company because if it was uh, a weak company, there was no point in looking at pricing, but it was in fact in the upper quartile, or if you will, top 25% of the industry. We also hit on a way to, com to discover or compare to competitive prices, which was we created a synthetic price discovery. I won't discuss exactly how that worked. But it did work. It showed that Bill's prices were dropping while the industry's prices were rising. When we then came to Bill's marketing people to identify the Bill component and adjust prices as they saw fit. Based on their instinct and experience, we would provide feedback on results. Then we built a tracking method, and that was the feedback on results. It worked. We were good at this stuff. But the client is better. And so results far exceeded even our private expectations. I offer this in defense, if not an appeal for management by walking about or by particular indescribable, unsourceable talent. What I will discuss is the nature of this approach, including the criticisms freely offered against it. It is seen as adamantly contrary to the professional management model. Later, I will contrast the two. This is management by walking about, or if you will, by in, walk, uh, or by, if you will, interference by Bill and others of his type. That such is appropriate, but superior for a certain kind of owner, whom I will describe and deal with in the economics of walkabout as to both decision timing and financing. Yet the arguments for walkabout also has implications such as the primary source as being a primary source of invention and discovery. So that's... That's a pact. Yeah, that's... You know, I don't want to... You get far away from the story and run to application. Uh, I'm trying to think of... A, so Bill walks around... He's got a. We got to have a name for it, or a characterization of it. He's kind of a. Uh, I mean, a farmer goes into his field. <clears throat> There's, the, the question is, is what is what is the definable and provable nature of his knowledge, and if he has such knowledge, where does it come from? And there are and there are a number of views, such as some who hold that. Uh, there's such a thing as uh, deep, deep smarts. That really doesn't add anything to the discussion. Something that adds a little bit more is the argument that some people who know how and know what, which doesn't describe how they do that, but they can look at the general proposition and dive deep into the specific and discover solutions. This, this, I mean, this, this, is, this is a big issue. Well, I know. That's why I'm... I'm going to be obtuse, not just because I don't fully understand, but I mean, the, the way you're talking about it sounds academic or theoretical, and and I don't mean academic in the sense of schooled, other than experience and study, but uh, we're talking about an undefinable thing, or it, but applicable thing. Well, I'm, I'm just about getting there uh, to, to, to maybe take that a bit further. I'm I'll, comfortable. I'll, I'll let you go f forward, but I'm going to guess I'm going to back up. That's fine. I, I'm comfortable with saying that he's, he, he or she, if it were that, or, or a, a woman, is become by some means a master of the craft. And that that mastery, as some argue, and I think it's a fair argument, is through the operation of what might be called apprenticeship. So Bill comes into this thing 
with 20 years in the foundry business. It's a long apprenticeship. It develops insights and skills that usually are not carefully marked to the side, but they're there. And so when he has his own company and he's faced with particular problems, his use of that is knowledge is immediate, decisive, and purposeful, but inexplicable. And that's the source of the grinding that goes on against him. He shouldn't know this. Two occasions that comment was made to me, one um, by a man who was a CFO, and he, he said, you know, I don't understand Bill because uh, Bill is working for Bill. Is, Bill doesn't have a degree. Many of my friends have their master's degrees, and they're working master's degrees, and they're working for guys who don't have degrees. One of Bill's major customers, the senior operations officer, senior uh, chief operations officer, said to me at one time, I don't understand Bill's success because he knows nothing about business. Uh, that may have been so in terms of his knowledge of business. I don't dispute that. But customers buy what he produces, and that he knew how to do. Um, so it's, 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 he could be called a savant. He could be called deeply knowledgeable with the characteristic of being less skilled in other areas. And that's often true. They're less skilled in other areas in two respects. One, a willingness to speak to their particular knowledge and, a, and in some respects a lack of language skills to be able to do so. So I've observed. Bill was no exception to that. In fact, being pushed on the subject of their particular knowledge, it creates a very strong negative response from people who have a particular ability. There's several theories about that, but one of them that's extant is that it arises out of some sort of childhood uh, affliction, some sort of inferiority complex. And so addressing these things rolls them back to an uncomfortable period. I'm not a psychologist. What, uh, you know, to observe from the outside of this kind of thing, I, I don't see the hang-up. The hang-up? Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> nobody really listens to someone who says, hey, how can, uh, I don't know, um, Paul McCartney can write a song. He just can write a song. And it's a song or it's not a song. Um, is this... And I, and I wonder about, and we talked about it a little bit, um, there's you, not you, a, a cultural grounding uh, for, uh, uh, let, me, let me start again quickly. It, it, business is seen as something scientific. And, uh, and, the scientific uh, idea, I mean, I don't know anybody who actually knows the meaning of the word science, which just means to know, and it's through observation, and it's constantly in flux. It's not a thing. It's not a, a bubble floating out there that you just got to go into. But I think that business is seen as a, as a mundane, and I mean, I don't mean business skills, tax returns, and all that. I, I, I mean, the second you start a business... So Bill starts a foundry. He stops being a guy who knows about steel, and now he's got a business. And maybe that's viewed as scientific and process processable, and that you can just go through it and do it. And if there's a, 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 a multiplier in the quality of his products, his prices, whatever it is, his success that uh, that's a problem, and it's a problem most for the person who has the success, because maybe there isn't the understanding that you just have an ability. Well, I mean, who cares where it came from? The fact of the matter is that uh, if we talk about business, you, we argue that the key to business success is possession of managerial skills, which arises out of managerial training which is the ability, what, among other things, to direct other people to know uh, what they should be doing and so forth. 
A lot of that arises from a particular necessity uh, that experts, credential people, and people in authority have for making sure that people under them do exactly as prescribed on the basis of superior, supposed superior wisdom. So you have somebody like Bill comes along, and he doesn't, he put together a business plan with our help. We built that and had, had him do that around his idea of what a thing should be. Uh, he didn't have to explain how he knew that. And it may be inexplicable, but it's an affront. When he con runs into conflict with the CFO over pricing, and a particular product should be priced higher, and he said, no, we're not doing that. He went in and refigured out, re-examined how they were manufacturing this product and brought the cost down to a place where, without raising prices, it was a highly profitable product. That was an insult. Now, was the CFO wrong about his estimate that the costs were too high? No, he wasn't. Is that a useful function? In a sense, it is. But in another sense, it's not a function that creates a correction. There's only two corrections in that, or two, two responses customarily. Tell the customer that you're going to have to raise the prices because it costs more money. And that seems to be easy to justify. Or the other one is accept the losses and hope you find something to make those up. But the third is what Bill did. Out of what should we say? Out of his character, out of his commitment that he made to the customer, whatever that particular was, he thought that there was a better way to produce this, went and found it. How did he do that? I don't think you could sit him down and say, well, Bill, what did you notice? I don't think that that, that is an explanation he could put in, into words. It's actionable. It's, his knowledge is, if you will, purposeful. It is not theoretical. And the, the point of the Bill story is to say that, um, that that knowledge is, is worthwhile. Now, it does create conflict. It made the CFO angry. Years later, when we did this pricing project, and it produced such astounding results as they saw it, the CFO, a different CFO at that time, said to me, well, I don't know how you could get him to do this. I mean, you walk in here and you tell him that, and immediately he raises prices. Well, he wasn't listening. We didn't look at prices in terms of their cost system. I have no problem with their having a cost system. It's some kind of a benchmark. It's been around for a long, long time. But it didn't capture certain realities. And we started with, what's Bill's prices compared to the industry? And by some means, we figured out how to do that quickly and simply. <coughs> I call it synthetic price discovery. What it showed is that while the industry's prices were rising, Bill's prices were going down. The question is, all right, what do you do with that? Bill said, well, could you build us a spreadsheet? Yeah, you can build a spreadsheet, and you're back to the same problem. I argued that, wait a minute, if we have a talent that can produce something of exceptional value, you've got a guy in marketing, for example, that's been doing price quotations for 20 years. He has a deep, natural, probably undescribed sense of where his customers are. We can show where these margins are, product by product, 2,500 of them a year, bang, bang, bang. Success rate in bids is 2%. 98% of the prices offered are not don't result in the present sale. But we knew where those prices were relative to the industry. So we could say, look, uh, here are the jobs that fall within this range. Do what you think is best. And of course the question was, what if we lose the business? Well, why don't we we'll also track? Take it as far as you're comfortable, or maybe a little further than you're comfortable. We'll track. We'll run those tracks, what, once a month or once a quarter, and, um, and so that you don't get too far away. But the reality is we're pricing for value. We're not pricing for cost. Customers care about the value they receive, unless that's a point of argument. See, that's what I was trying to... 
Down. I got a little hard, get a little hardball on those things. That, well, that's the right. That's a yeah. That's understandable. All right. I can, I can get that from, you know, one band or one piano player might make seventy five bucks and the next guy makes seventy five thousand and that's, that's <laughs> literally the range and it's hard to measure what how that stuff is. Yeah. Well, you know, um, it's. It, one of the things about characteristics such as Bill's and several clients like this, what they respond to is usually contrary to accepted industry practice, is usually contrary to expertise, but it is not contrary to their purpose. And their purpose is, is, is what derives them. Now, in Bill's case, because his purpose and the effect it had on a certain percentage of the products did not, by virtue of their pricing methods, show up in their prices, then his knowledge was simply interference. He was a simply difficult person to be around. All right, so that's an important way almost to say that again. So his knowledge is simply interference. You mean within his own... Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, ...shop. Yeah, and, and, and the more they regarded him as, as you know, as, as, as unproven, if you will, or, if you will, the only, for most of us, proof is what, is what is commonly done. Anything that's not commonly done is a problem. In fact, those who take a view of something that's not common are regarded as, as um, uh, negative critics. They, just, they won't submit to anybody or anything. They're just arbitrary and capricious. They're cantankerous, if you will. It would really help if you people kept four or five books on their shelf. One of them being, you know, uh, uh, the Iliad. Uh, throw into that Huck Finn. Um, few I, off the top of my head, I'm not coming up with it. But the idea of the there's never been a hero. You can go back to, you know, Moses. There's never been a hero outwardly suited to what he or she does. Well, Moses would be a really good example, yeah. I mean, all the way forward to, you know, it, it, it's the fundamental of literature. It's a fundamental of, and take it out of literature because now that sounds stuffy. Storytelling is always... And, and, you know, you could view uh, Bill's story or, in, in fact, your story, because we could talk about that, too, uh, from a hero standpoint. And I don't mean hero as a heroic action, like saving people from a burning building or something, but he heroic in the sense of protagonist who is would seemingly be ill-equipped to do the thing. I mean, uh, you know, my world... Jazz music comes from people no one would have expected to do great things. And in fact, we're troubled to the point of violence that this great thing came from oppressed people. I mean, it's black music. Mm -hmm. So it, maybe it would be a good idea if... if if I were talking to somebody who's doing this kind of stuff, I'd say, okay, go buy these books and read them and you'll understand a little bit. So you, you kept saying to, to uh, uh, Bill's Rage, I mean, even Achilles, who's super strong and everything like that, and of course, Achilles' heel comes from the fact he's got this vanity and he holds grudges and he can't get past him and he sulks in his tent. So even all the way back to that storytelling. Anyway, it's just an aside. Um... In one sense, a subject is complex uh, and, and it has a lot of parts, and that's why in this series I, I envision, I'm, I'm guessing there's something like 12 to 15 sessions to walk through the kinds of things that, that affect business and particularly these guys. One of the things that is interesting is if you ask people about business, um, you, some people say, well, you know, if you can manage, you can manage anything. I don't think that's true. Um, uh, second, if you ask somebody what business is about, business is about making money. 
Well, making money is a necessity for the continuation of the business and for a man or a woman to provide for their family. I don't dispute that. But what probably works better is something that says, I know what to do, I know where to do it, and I know how to, who to do it for, and I want to deliver something that uh, really works. Now, how do you define what really works? Boy, that's an interesting question. You decide for yourself. And generally speaking, if you define it, the customer will accept that definition. Now, that is not a sit-down conversation. It's, it's, in the case of Bill's customer, a part in their hands. One of the largest manufacturers in the United States called uh, Bill's, one of Bill's sons and said, you guys are the best-kept secret in the United States. I mean, how do you, how do you know how to do these things? Well, those things are the things they do. Um, but um, if you come back to why it's such an affront, um, it's in a, one of the characteristics of how we build a business plan is to hide the client's actual thinking from the experts. We don't even want to have to go to explaining what's going on. Expertise is, true expertise is sufficient that a person really who has that true expertise recognizes that there's awful lot more that they don't know at all. That's the kind of humility that doesn't seem to fit well with expertise. When the CFO, who's supposed to be the keeper of making money, keeper of the money, is exposed to say, you know, your pricing methods don't work, they don't touch reality. They may be a cost, as best we can define cost. But then my question becomes, well, so how much cost do you put in to pay or compensate Bill for what he, if you will, instinctively knows? Gained over 20 years. I mean, anyway, it just, it's, that's why I put this together. Well, I'm, <clears throat> I'm only harping on this because... You want a faster answer, quicker. No, it's not, that's not it. I, it's, it's, you know, you've been doing this for 50-plus years. And uh, so you can rattle off a sentence that maybe has a little more to it than, than I can keep up with. Well, that would be true, yeah. yeah. And, I, I, you know, I want it in not simple terms, but under... But uh, I, I mean, I don't see this stuff as outside of anything. I, I don't understand why well, I do understand. I wouldn't recognize that this is a problem because my frame is, is <laughs> profound different. human response to almost anything. It's almost first response, and it maybe never goes away. To seeing what somebody like Bill can do is envy. Well, okay, and it will dictate a lot of responses. Right. One of which is to say, "Well, he didn't really do it." Two, it really doesn't happen. Three, is is not to his credit. Four, he shouldn't get the credit anyway. Well, what I'm what I'm kind of driving at is what you did for him and other clients. Is it almost served? Uh, a literary function. The popular word now is a narrative. Uh, because it provided context. I mean, I don't mean it didn't have technical capacity and the business plan and all that other kind of stuff. Those are incidentals. But it, it provided a grammar that was a, 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 a bit of a hedge uh, or a, a moat even around this guy that other forms maybe have more naturally than so-called business. The, the, the culture around them comes with it Well, the, not all of our clients were, if you will, the bill type. Um, they were people who have, had absolute mastery. Um, I don't know what percentage, because people are hesitant about such things. And all often bury the exceptionalism in order to fit in. Some people, however, 
can't find a place, so they have to make their own place. And that's what happens in, in, in Bill's situation. Um, now, to what extent I knew about what was going on through this period, I chose the Bill story because in one client, which I was able to track from beginning to end, there were some seminal ideas at the time I went through them, I didn't have a precise or even a general grasp of what I was doing. Other than the simple idea that who are you to fool with this guy? To suppose that he can't fail, if you will, if you must, let him fail on his own terms. He will succeed better than on your terms. I mean, it's interesting that you would say you didn't have grasp of what you were doing. Seminal grasp? Oh, yeah. I mean, when you said that, that is the thing. I mean, the principle was sound, so you can... It can move and it can <laughs> go down various avenues and, and explore, but the principles sound. In, in, in a sense, I, without the apprenticeship, I had was given a, a wide set of ideas that I really had no idea. Sometimes I didn't know I had them. I sometimes only knew marginally what their importance was. You know, the one thing, if I look back in the 30-plus years with Bill from beginning to end, I had always assumed, classic, stupid mistake, it was mine, but I'm not alone, that if you got results, nothing else mattered. And since, theoretically, uh, my clients got results, well, nothing else mattered. If I got results, nothing else mattered. Well, I, that's wrong. Um... I didn't take the time to say, Bill, right at the beginning, and I, I think I instinctively, instinctively knew not to do it. I didn't set it aside and say, Bill, look, you have a particular talent and ability. I know this makes you uncomfortable to talk about, but clearly you do. I can't put my finger on it, but it doesn't change the fact that you do, and it's not built into your pricing. And so when you go along and you do this sort of thing and, and you exercise your view of things and, and you get less and less response, because you know, pretty soon the company's going, everybody's getting paid, and so who are you to tell us what to do? I mean, yada, yada, do you have your master's degree in, or your doctorate in industrial engineering or whatever? Uh, I didn't arm him for that either. I didn't say, look, you're going to encounter remarkable jealousy. There's going to be a lot of envy. I frankly don't know how you're going to diffuse that. But it's there. And when it gets to you enough, holler. Because uh, um, I'm not averse. I can do this where you don't get to. I'll take him to the woodshed. Yeah. Well, that's you know, right. That's I mean, right. The CFO who calculates cost, I wouldn't criticize him for doing that. It's a number, and it's, it's a complicated calculation. But in the end, it has almost nothing to do with price. It does have to do with whether at the prices you're using, you can sustain your business. That's simple enough. Well, that's, I mean, if anybody listens to this, they might want to run back the last four minutes of what you said. Okay. Because that's what I'm trying to... Well, that's why you're, I want you to curate that's this. That's why I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get to and why I keep hitting this this point of... if somebody I'm not resistant. I am reactive, however. Well, I mean, it can be difficult at times. I mean, like, like Uncle Bill. What, you know, you're a, I've been around this a long time. And the, the point I'm trying to get to is for me and hopefully somebody listening to this you know you ask somebody what they do and they ask me what i do and i'm a musician and composer you ask a farmer he's a farmer a, a chef a doctor they're these categories that the word carries a lot of uh shorthand cultural shorthand you ask you what you do what you know and you say well i was an accountant now we do what consulting. Consulting has almost nothing but negative baggage, or it's just a cloud in the sky. I've got a file here 
that I click on, should I get a call? Tell me what you do. And I've worked on that file and written the language several different times. I don't have an answer to that that I like. Well, and I don't know that... You know, I'm, 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 I'm at the point of saying, look, um, what are you interested in? What, what are your concerns? I can tell you that mine are, uh, number one, uh, I don't think guys are doing what they even know is best, and they know better than anybody else what's best. Two, I want to set up some, some barricades so that those people who think they know what is best, um, you have, and start criticizing, you have an answer for that criticism so it goes away. Three, things happen. I don't know what they are, but I know, do know and you know what and where they affect your operation. And we can be fairly precise. We can lay it out for you, and then you can decide what level of protection or what level of preparation satisfy you, satisfies you. And frankly, that answer is emotional, but it's not emotional in the sense of crying and screaming. It's a matter of what your purpose is. You're trying to provide for your family, yada, yada. We do those things. But sit down and say, well, how do you do them? Man. Well, I mean, this is... My doing is response to my clients. Right. Yeah. Uh, the category is a missing category in maybe uh, post-industrial, and I don't really study this stuff enough to care or care enough to study it, but I do read a lot of books and I understand what books and music and paintings and all that stuff is for. Pre, when we were agrarian, and it's, it's cross cultural there was uh, there was a role for the counselor uh, the Greeks had their seers uh, you know a priest there's there's good and really good versions of of someone who knows and you go see the guy the shaman another word and that doesn't mean you sit there and you know smoke comes out and look into the future, it means sagacity. And that was an accepted role that I think was supplanted by the idea that you could get a certain kind of technical portfolio together that would stand in for... I mean, in my thing, I have nothing against school. I wish I'd gone more than I did. But you go to school and you learn how to compose music. And, yeah. and I've and I've, and I've heard people have gone to school and they compose beautiful. I need to know what end of a screwdriver to hold too. Yeah. You know, yeah. And there are there's things missing in my uh, toolkit. To stay on the metaphor that I wish I had and I try to acquire. However, I also hear a lot of stuff that, you know, uh, when I took writing classes, there are people who bought the latest. That was a long time ago, so they bought word processors, and now they're ready to write. Yeah, I remember the story years and, ago. Yeah. You know, just, yeah, and you got to know how to use great commas and all the rest, but that you still don't know how to write. And I think we've lost the. So I'm talking about what you did. There's a there's a there's a frame, a cultural frame, uh, a personal frame that the wise man provides. Well, it, it should. Um, and the fact of the matter is, the way most of our most of us are dealt with is is oppression. We're oppressed to a certain kind of view, a common view, let's say. If you don't follow what's common, then then your your wife or somebody else is going to get on your case because now you've introduced risk. Sirikki wrote a book called The Wisdom of Crowds, which is an interesting proposition, whether the crowds in mass are actually wiser than somebody who can see something. Um, a man wrote a book, put, assembled a book of people who were inventors and, and discoverers from about 500 BCE to roughly current. It's 700 pages of individual names discovering things. 
it's so profound that we're now at a point in a little over a century where where the population has grown from about 2 billion to over 7 billion, about 100 years, and there's no shortage other than that created by war. Yet our whole economic calculation, our economic theories by which the Fed operates, operates on the theory of scarcity. What a joke. Almost all those 700 pages of names are individuals. That's where the discovery is. I'm talking about Bill, who whose name would never be, as far as I would guess, in that book he discovered thus and so about producing parts. Um, I don't know what he knew. I didn't care. I did have a keen sense that when somebody's interfering with what my client is trying to do more exactly what my, what my, who my client is. So if I had a staff of, you know, 18 people and they were involved in business planning, I had a rule and said, you change a client's numbers, you supply a client's numbers, you supply your opinion on that and I break your fingers. There's a place for your particular expertise, such as, you know, what's the best tax treatment? Well, don't go that far because nobody knows the best tax treatment. Um, but I do think that it's pretty clear that following the common formula creates at the very best mediocrity. And that destroys heart and soul. And that fails even to providing for your family. Guys like Bill and others, they're <coughs> purposeful. They will take this on. Maybe with some encouragement. They don't think they have anything. In the early part of the story, I said, you know, he went down to a banker I knew and somehow I had a good standing with that banker. But anyway... Bill thought he did a poor job, and I would guess in terms of what he thought a businessman would do, or otherwise, he did a poor job. But one thing that came through, he knew something about a foundry. In the testimony of over 20 years, I mean, you want to be an expert at something? You know, the uh, who was the rule that 10,000 hours, some such, such thing? Yeah, it's Gladwell, I think. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, well, this is this is 20 years, and you're confronted with problems. A friend of mine has, I think it's close to 50 patents to his name. Brilliant guy. I asked him one day, please explain how you do that. He said, I see a problem, and it bothers me long enough to find I can't stand it anymore, and I'm going to go find a solution. Well, that's very sophisticated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's more self-aware than most, but... You know, that's that's right there. Um, you know, so I unfold this because, you know, from here we can discuss what is the standard professional management model. Why is it set up that way? How does it work? And what are its failures? And they're profound. Well, I think... And then I talk about economic savvy in terms of how to read an economy and the interest rates and, and the effect of interest rates on value and prices. And then uh, you know, how, does, how does a guy like Bill manage, per se? Well, the reality is, as near as I can tell, he manages by interference. Sure. He sees something and decides, no, that's, we're not doing that anymore. He interferes. Um, and I, it'd be interesting to know to what extent his intrusiveness created uh, 10, 20, 30% of the employees who developed their own ability, who were developed with real ability and seeing things that were wider and deeper than is common. Well, that's certainly the apprenticeship oh, yeah. model yeah. Uh, in, in any field. <laughs> And so if I take it forward to, you know, one of the oldest occupations of mankind, no, it's probably the oldest, which is agriculture, farming. Yeah. My estimate is that farming today is, suffers from uh, uh, suffocation by expertise. 
by outside expertise. Um, and so I love the idea of that sort of combat. One of the stories, and I don't know if I'll tell it here, was a dairyman, small dairy. They took on a dairy. It's not something I wanted to do, but for some reason I found myself there. You must have a little bit. We, we, there we were. And it was doing as poorly as one would expect. And uh, one day in the process of business planning, maybe the second year, he decided that he's not going to follow the standard protocol of dairy for feeding cattle, dairy cows. He had a professional, highly trained uh, nutritionist who reformulated feeds for the lowest cost because feed is the highest cost by far. He said, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going to change their diets. Cows don't like to have their diets changed. It, it gives them upset stomach. So he threw out that remarkable, long-standing, highly developed expertise and on the basis of his own what? Gut, pardon the pun, <laughs> he changed it. The effect was profound. Not only did they produce more milk, their milk was pure, meaning it had almost no cellular, uh, no disease, sure. somatic cell count was up. Third, the effect was so perfect. The effect was so profound. The milk just simply tasted better, and the the dairy came to him and increased his premium beyond that to account for the quality of his milk. Fourth, and this was the huge kicker: his cows, instead of having to go to be turned into hamburger every three years, would run seven to eight years. Now you're talking real money. Well, and that's a you know, and he he did that. I mean, there's a thread that kind of came out in this conversation. It's war. Well, you know that I feel about that. Yeah, well, yeah, but the int knowledge, uh, Bill, uh, Dairyman, they had what would be viewed as uh, street smarts or something like that. It's a mechanical knowledge, which is not. It's a it's a deeper knowledge. I mean, it's in it's on a, it's almost on a cellular level, and it works out in actions, not in words, and not in uh, spreadsheets. That's right. So you talk about Bill's interference. Well, it's not interference unless he acts, and he clearly acted. And uh, well, the other thing though that it inter enters in, and it's I think it's largely true. They. All that I've all of them I've seen, and that would, that's not by I've not seen all of them, but have sort of an emotional baggage that they carry of being um, inferior to others, and this generally tends to run back to their childhood. It doesn't say it's justified; it's how they felt about it. I don't know too many people who don't go around with that particular baggage. Well, I, I think that's probably true, um, but of course they move to avoid looking bad. Well, now you're going out and doing this stuff and you're starting to receive criticism and it has a certain evocative response. Uh, I didn't catch that. Um, I mean, I still operated with a, a shallow view, which, which was, look, we're making money, there's, that's the job, what's the fight about? You know, I don't know if your memory is serving you because I, I mean I grew up in the house you know as you'd expect and you know going back it, over 30 years because I'm 50 I heard you talk about this stuff not with the clarity but it wasn't it wasn't uh, missing from from that I don't know if that was being a middle kid yourself or or just having a sense of people um, but I remember you talking about this theme. If, if I could distinguish then a, a bit, if I look at the Bill's case as being, if you will, the ground where all the pieces that I think I came to know went into play and were played out, it isn't that uh, I was unaware of what I was doing or that I was experimenting. 
It is rather I hadn't found labels yet. And the labels would, would help me sort that out. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to do that is I wanted to be clear to my clients. And I wanted to be, if I had employees, clear to them. You know, if I were to take a CFO, such as Bill's CFOs, one who couldn't handle pricing if he'd listened, or the other one who had the same problem with pricing, I would say, look, you need to understand that you're an expert. And that means that what you know, you know well, but you may not at all know what you don't know. And so continue to do what you do, but put a bit of humility behind it because there's stuff you don't know that I don't know that none of us know. I equate it with standing on a beach, stretches for miles in either direction. You reach down and you can grab as much as you can in two handfuls and that becomes your knowledge. Now once you master what's in those two handfuls, you can move down the beach a few more step, steps and grab another couple more handfuls and increase your knowledge. But remember, this beach stretches for miles and miles up and down. So what you know might be more than most, but what you know relative to what is out there to know, it isn't much. Right. You know. It, I had a client that I did an acquisition for. It was really sort of an interesting one back in 1975, yeah. they got all done in a way when it worked. My word! Um, and he and he turned to me one day and he said, "You know, you know so much about management. Is is there is, is there a book that I could read? Books?" I said, "I got quite a few books in my library, but uh, there's really only one that you want to read." Management is about people, and people, and what they are, what we are, and how to deal with them is in the Bible. Go there. Hmm. You know. But. Well, it is interesting, maybe. The view of business does not seem to contain people. But, of course, it's only people. It, you know, that's an interesting thought on the, on the board. Uh, I've got a basic outline, which I'll revise, the, the, which is the structure of modern management. And in a sense, it doesn't contain people. The fact of the matter is that ordinary people um, are a problem. Um, and they're a source of interference they may have some ideas, but they're also, you know, difficult. And so, modern management has come together to how to how to contain, if you will, their worst impulses. Uh, going back to uh, Frederick Taylor, uh, a uh, scientific management expert, back in the turn of the 20th century, and the idea was you develop exactly step by step each thing that each person does. And they commit them to that. And those things will create in them good moral habits. That was the argument. The other side to it was if everybody's doing the same thing all the time, and it's, then it's supposedly you can tell when something's off. Sure. What you cannot tell is whether your design is off in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... I mean, that's, that's, that's it. I mean, again, if I, I hear that, and I think if these dummies had read some books and actually read them, <laughs> they wouldn't have done that stuff. Because it doesn't... I, I mean, literature, and whether written down or the uh, oral tradition, it long ago, thousands of years ago, figured out, and it's not going to go that way. <laughs> you're not gonna, you're not gonna systematize. You know, people made up much more of feelings than anybody really wants to admit. Well, um, the you know when I make mention of being able to feed 
the whole world and increase in population 100 years from 2 billion to 7 billion. That's a huge difference. I mean, it is it is magical difference. GDP in the United States, if you put it on a scale and weight it in 100 years, is about the same as it was when our population was 70 million and now it's over 300 million. What is what is happening? You got an Apple computer, that's Steve Jobs, who, according to Bill Gates, knew nothing about technology. Well, he apparently knew something pretty good because yeah. he, he knew what he wanted to do with it. Um, and, you know, his operating software is spent any time with Microsoft and you would cry for something that actually was designed to work. Yeah. I, well, and this is still a Jobs era Mac, so I don't know what the new ones are. <laughs> no, I, I don't know either. But um, well, the thing is that, and, and I will bring this in, from creation, God gave us a charge to subdue the world, which was necessary in order for us to have food, clothing, shelter, health, and he gave insight and reason to people. It's called common grace, by which people came to know things. Some of it shows up in music. Music calms a troubled heart. Music makes alive somebody who's remorseful, and so forth. Um, you know, it's it's we have cures for diseases that people used to die from by the thousands: smallpox and yeah. measles, and uh, you know, so on. Uh, sanitary systems. I mean, I mean, gee whiz! I read this statistic about light artificial light and I and now I, I'm completely blanking on it took uh, I don't know what it was 10 hours to produce a thousand lumens or something like this uh, and, and it might have been more than 10 hours I, I, I get I don't remember numbers well at all and by the 19 whatever 10 incandescent bulb being around it had dropped anyway the short of it is with the current technology and light bulb the same amount of work that we used to produce a thousand lumens produces 54 years of yeah. light uh, it, that was a thousand lumens at like one hour I mean, it, it's it's almost uh, I'd, I'd forgotten that I know the numbers and I'd, I'd forgotten the illustration because it, it, it sort of says uh, you know Somebody could put some light on something, and my word, it makes a lot of difference. Yeah, you know. But uh, well, if we can, well, I've got fifteen lectures here, and uh, well, we're not going to do them as lectures, as anybody can all guess. All right, shut up. No, <laughs> anyway, what, what's interesting? I didn't realize, and that's why I think Tom is right in terms of your curating. I don't realize when my thoughts are that packed. Well. Nobody at this point would <laughs> after 50 plus. I mean, because you can't, you can't show all your work. There's no way. Not, not five years, let alone 50 plus. I think it's all right here. Price, <laughs> price is a. I. It's an interesting statement that gets made, uh, and really, obviously, a difficult subject. Um, I think it's interesting that uh, if I remember the story, Bill's enjoyment or his satisfaction in the business is going down with his prices, or maybe his prices are going down with his satisfaction or his. Interesting thought. Yeah. I, I don't have it in the material, and I don't know that I would. I don't know that I intend to because I thought about specifically not including it. But a lot of that stuff uh, is really developed out of Marxist socialism. That. You know, the fundamental of a price is what you need in order for a workman to have enough to provide for his family. Anything other than that, it's just da-da-da-da-da. And so we have these cost calculations tied back to, and the driver on that is number of man hours. Well, and I suppose there's, I mean, sure, okay. But well, can you calculate? I did the... Go ahead, yeah. I did the bill story, 
and I point out, and these are things I'll be picking up later on, because Bill's story includes and deals with a, a whole range of, if you will, management theory, the place and role of experts, uh, the nature of people like Bill, and the role of economics in, in their decisions and in their providing for their future. Um, people like Bill, and not uncommonly, don't do things because they see a opportunity. They do it because it's a way for them to avoid the risks that they see in the future. I'll turn, and perhaps another episode, to another story that's far more common and, um, and, and unnecessary, but it's important to address uh, because it reflects something of the effect of common views of things and how much damage it does. All right. All right. All right. Well, that's uh, what we talked about today. And I guess we did have to talk about it. We're going to be back with more. If you like this, tell your friends. Get them to listen. And uh, we'll keep doing them. <laughs>